0: Hey, guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip-hop started right
1: here in New York City, and we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip-hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and
0: more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip-hop.
2: This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time, work,
0: Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
2: Hey, how's it going, everyone? This is Tyler Dunn from Go Long, here for another episode of the Go Long podcast with my co-host, Jim Onis, he's still recovering, recouping, revitalizing, rejuvenating from downtown Buffalo via Zoom. And, Jim, we've got a special guest straight from the jump. Matthew Fairburn, one of my best friends here in good old western New York. But more importantly, the best Buffalo Bills beat writer on the planet. Fellas, how we doing? What are we drinking? What's good?
0: Doing, doing well, doing well, Uh Appreciate the way too kind words. I've been listening to the podcast. Uh, you guys have been been doing awesome, and I'm I'm glad to be uh be jumping on here. I, I joined a Zoom happy hour, but now I'm getting the call up to the real thing. But <laughs> well, you proved
2: your worth, you know. We we put you through the the rigors of the exclusive. Go on Thanks for the plug there, Matt. Exclusive for subscribers of Go Long. You get to drink
0: beers, which I them. am. You know, I was just there as a happy subscriber sliding in. You know, getting some of the, get, getting some of those benefits.
2: I tell you, I mean, Jim obviously is an open book on on this podcast, but man, in those happy hours, Jim and, and Doug Whaley, his old well, boss, you're you're gonna hear some stuff, right, Jim? You're gonna you're gonna tell some stories off the record.
1: Yeah, it seems that it goes in different directions on happy hour and it does on the podcast, so I kind of like that, and it's, it's like a select few people, but it te- you can tell everybody kind of really. Wants to hear what you're going to say. And, man, like you said, plenty of stories. And watching Tampa today celebrate, I can't stop thinking about that celebration we had in New Orleans after we won our Super Bowl. I'm telling you guys, what they're going through right now, everybody should get to experience. I was lucky enough to. I wish you guys could. It is the ultimate. That was amazing.
2: Yeah, we definitely got to get into that because it's – I mean, you don't get to see Tom Brady, you know, X amount of beers deep very often, just chucking trophies around. But yeah, I'm actually live here at Hamburg Brewery, and we got to get you guys here soon. Our, our gracious partners drinking a little Hopdemonium. That's a new IPA. It's out Friday, everybody, so check it out. 8.0. I just had a first few sips. <laughs> Double he IPA Hopdemonium. Combination <laughs> of a uh, Citra, Trident and Sabro hops. It's uh, incredible. So. Get you some. What you guys working?
1: High life.
0: Handed.
2: High
1: life. Empty I'm not at, Yeah, I'm not, at, I'm, not at, I'm not at Hamburg, so I got to go with the high life.
2: Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Matt? I'm empty-handed over here. You've been working. You've been working all day. No
0: beer in the fridge at the uh, Fairburn house. There's some bourbon in the basement, but no, no beer in the fridge.
2: Take care,
0: is a bourbon kind of podcast so i kept it kept it in the basement
1: (laughs) well matt does matt did a great job on his podcast um with with tim graham because i listened to it because um they have you know one of my close friends the first guy hired in buffalo smoke dixon and um i'm telling you he is i wish i know he's busy right now we're gonna get him on the show someday tyler but i'm telling you want to talk about stories for days right matt (laughs) oh man smoke's the best he's uh Connected with him last spring.
0: Um, initially, it was actually around this time I reached out to him and was like, "Hey, we got to write about this this old ex-Bill scout that's running the best team in the XFL." And then, you know, by the time we got connected and got on the phone, COVID happened, the XFL had folded, and um, but still, just an amazing story, as you know, Jim, the, what he overcame, you know, in his life to get to where he is, what his his father overcame to, to get his family here. And, um, those are that's the cool thing about the NFL to me is how many of those stories there are out there of just, um, everybody's got one, you know, and they're in every building and, uh, but not too many like smoke. Uh, that guy, he's something special and, um, certainly has tons of stories from, uh, playing at Bama, uh, playing with Darnell Dockett in high school, uh, <laughs> Yeah, had had some some good recruiting stories to share with us, and then obviously his time in the league, he's been he's seen a lot. Now he's uh, he's at Vandy now, running their recruiting. So uh, back in the SEC where it kind of all started for him.
2: That's awesome. We got to combine pods and just you know bullshit for a while about all these crazy stories. Sometime let's make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, well, first things first, though, guys, not to um, to bring it down, but we kind of have to because it was a pretty rough rough day yesterday. I mean, losing Therese, Therese Paler, for those who don't know, um, one of the best NFL writers that you'd ever read, one of the hardest-working human beings you'd ever meet. I mean, just loves the game, obsessed with the game, Eat would eat it, sleep it, breathe it. But um, as you guys know, I mean, Matt especially because we've you know run into him at combine the Senior Bowl, just kind of being around the same starting point. I think we all kind of got into this relatively around the same time. And Therese, I mean you're just you're just drawn to him as a as a human being. So to lose him at 37, um, it, it was brutal. I mean, I, I Jim actually texted me. He heard first, and my jaw just hit the floor. You know the tears start flowing. You want to talk about just one of the best human beings you ever meet in your life. It, it was Therese, right, Matt? I mean, we we hung out with him every chance we could. You know, at these events, it's like you'd see him and you're just drawn to the. You just drawn to him. He just emanates just love and joy and happiness, and you you gotta be around this guy. It's hard to explain.
0: Yeah, I mean, Therese was the guy. One of those guys. Anytime you went to the combine, the Senior Bowl, uh, covering a game in Kansas City it was like you just looked forward to seeing Therese. Like it, Those crowded media rooms, those crowded practice fields at the Senior Bowl, you saw Therese and it was just like, gotta go talk to Therese. He would drop everything for you. He was the busiest guy, but he would stand there. I remember at the Senior Bowl, one of my first times down at the Senior Bowl, he's giving me the lay of the land. Um, he's down there by himself. He's shooting. He would shoot these daily practice videos and uh, I helped, helped, helped him shoot one and We had to have been after practice for over an hour just talking. Like, by the time we were done, nobody's at the the practice field anymore. And it's all just him sharing experiences, sharing advice. Like, guy probably has given me as much actionable advice. A lot of people will give you advice. Therese will be like, do this. Do X, Y, and Z. This is how I do it you know, when he broke the Alex Smith trade, I remember I couldn't wait to see him at the combine because I was like, dude, like that, it's such a huge scoop. Like for a local guy to get the biggest story of the off season. And he was just like, it, it's whatever, man. You know, it was, he was just like, <laughs> so chill, so humble. And like, it just broke my heart to see it yesterday. Like I, I just froze when I, I didn't find out till it was all over Twitter. And I, I it just kind of, it, you know, took the rest of my night away. I was just reading everything, everybody. What I realized was, you know, Therese was so good to me. I met him when when I was a student at Mizzou. He came and spoke to a class I had and I bugged him afterwards for a while. And we were on the same beat, sort of. He was covering Mizzou for the KC Star and I was covering whatever I could for whoever I could. And he didn't treat me like a student reporter. It was like I was, you know, a colleague. And, you know, it just gave me so much confidence that a guy like that saw me that way. You know, everybody at Mizzou, you know, wanted to be the next Wright Thompson or the next Seth Wickersham, you know, these giants in our industry. And I always kind of was like, I, I want to be the next Therese. I want to be like him. Like this is a guy that, you know, I don't know that I'll ever be able to write like Wright Thompson, but what Therese taught me was like if you work your ass off, you treat people right, you do the job the right way, good things will happen to you. And and that gave me you know, kind of a roadmap, you know, to, to be like him. Cause he was, he was the most humble guy you could, he, he knew he was like, he was like, look, I, I just, I just work and I care. And you're right, Tyler. He loves, loved, loved, loved football and everybody in it. You know, he loved talking about it. He loved, and he was just so good to people and seeing everybody yesterday made me realize like he was good to so many people. Like I knew him from Mizzou and like, you know, had a relationship going back to then, but that wasn't why he was good to me. He was good to me because he was just good to people. Like he helped so many people in this industry. He left such a huge mark on so many people's lives. It was, it's just not fair. You know, had his whole life in front of him, had everything that he worked for. Um, you know, I, I just, I can't stop thinking about his fiance and his family. And, um, you know, if we're all feeling this loss, You know, just imagine what he was to them and uh, just an unbelievable guy. Um, Really, the one thing I keep telling myself is, like, I got to be more like Therese. We all got to be more like Therese because, like, he is everything that people should aspire to be. He he was just awesome.
2: That's the perfect takeaway, Matt. I mean, that same thought was running through my head all night into today. Like, we just need to all live a little bit more like Therese. Because this is somebody who, you know, just last week, you know, he's the busiest dude on the planet when it comes to covering a Super Bowl at Yahoo Sports, previously at the Kansas City Star. Nobody knows the Chiefs better than Therese, and they're in another another Super Bowl. And I just kind of texted him, hey, man, you want to hop on our podcast? Would love to have you. I mean, instantly gets back, absolutely. When do you need me? How long do you need me? Would love to do it. Boom, does it. No questions asked how often do we get in our lives just quote unquote too busy for things and just, you know, whether it's friends or family, not making that call, not reaching out to somebody that you should be reaching out to. And it's just like, Therese, he just found time for, for everybody. And it's like, you, you brought up that Alex Smith trade that he broke and it's, it's wild. Like I can remember exactly where I was when I found out that Therese broke that story because of the guy, kind of guy he is. Like it was Super Bowl week in Minneapolis My wife, Gina, was with me. We're at, like, those indoor roller coasters. It was, like, the media party. That's where they had it. And it was, like, you know, he, like, just dropped a bomb on the sports world with breaking that story. And I just remember, like, fist pumping. Like, yeah,
1: Therese. Yeah, babe, let's go.
2: Therese broke it. Not anybody else. And I remember Gina's, like, Like, what's going on? (laughs) It's, like, you need to know this guy. Like, he busts his freaking ass, like, more than anybody in this business. He earned every inch he got. in in this job and you know not to knock other writers but like like you know he's in it for the right reasons not everybody's in it for the right reasons he's in it because he loves the game he wants to he wants to explain the game to people you're right man it's just not fair it's just not fair i mean it, it turns to anger like we shouldn't lose somebody like Therese. we shouldn't it just it sucks
0: it's there's a lot of ego in sports and that carries over to sports journalism and, and, you know, the media business like is not immune to it. And he was just one of those people that's like, there was none of that. He had no no ego. He was like, and he could, you know, I could complain about stuff to him, like complain about stuff in the business. And he had a way of like complaining with you, but then just laughing it off, like, and making you feel like, yeah you know like life is still pretty good like this big job big. is still pretty great like you know we complain about stuff and i can hear him say it he'd, he'd be like man that's some bullshit and <laughs> yeah. but then he would laugh that laugh that yeah, like yeah. and all of a sudden you were just like yeah it's some bullshit like both but man yeah. you know life's pretty good and like right. and he just had had that way about him and and People can be very protective in this business of their territory, of their, you know, time, of their sources, of whatever. And he was just like an open book and, you know, so much for so many people and not an, just not an easy, an easy bit of news to hear and, and not a loss that I'm sure I know I'm going to feel it every time I go to a combine, every time I go to a senior bowl, I mean, I think that's what it made me realize too is just how much i miss a lot of that stuff seeing seeing all you guys on the road and and seeing you know fellow reporters out and just like the kind of the common bond you all have um that made it really hit home you know with with that news because that was the last time i saw him uh and i'm glad that i did share with him like what i'm telling you guys how helpful he was to me and what he you know all that he reached was one of the first people to reach out when I got the job at the athletic. Um, and, you know, I always t- tried to take, take a second to tell him, you know, how helpful he was and how much I appreciated it, but you still wish you could, could tell him one more time.
2: Completely, completely. It's, I mean, I, like you said too, I, I can't imagine what his fiance, what his family is going through. So, you know, just all of the prayers to them and, and hope they're doing well. And, if people have the time, please read um, Sam Mellinger's column at the Kansas City Star, Charles Robinson's column at Yahoo. I mean, they knew Therese even more than – way more than we did and working with him day in and
1: day out. And I just thought they captured
2: just the, the joy and the essence of, of who he was. It's weird to even use past tense because I don't want to believe it. But. Well said, Matt. Um, not even sure how we move on to anything else after that. But, you know, we've got you on to talk a little football – Talk some bills. We'll we'll try to do do Perez, you know. Let's do do Perez proud, you know, with with all of our lives, day in day out. But like with with the Bills, Matt, um, this off season, have you if you kind of dove in to your coverage and, and how you're gonna attack things and I mean, what what kind of do you think readers want to know right now about the Buffalo Bills?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a new spot for them for sure. You know, it's all of a sudden they're in this cap crunch and trying to figure out how they can they need to get better right they weren't good enough last year they they acknowledge that as magical a ride as they went on the ultimate goal they fell short there was a gap there between them and kansas city and so they need to get better but the the avenues to do it aren't as obvious as they used to be they can't just throw money at guys in free agency they can't You know, they're hoping they can retain all their own guys, but there's no guarantee that they can even do that. And going to have to hit on some draft picks. Going to have to make some savvy, smart free agent moves and get creative with the cap. And as Jim probably knows uh, better than you or I, there are some some games you can play with the salary cap to make some things work and, and get things going. But it's also... You know, people want to say the cap is fake and all this. It's like, it's still a number. It's still there. You know, they can't sign everybody. So um, it's going to be an interesting off season from that respect. Can they bring back Milano? Can they keep this O-line together? Do they have to tear the defensive line down to the studs because everybody they signed last offseason didn't really get it done for them? And they need the space. You know, they need to free up some room. I think they have decisions to make on both lines, and I think that's where everything starts because um, everybody who watched the game on Sunday saw it. You know, that's where that game was won, uh, on both sides of the ball. Uh, Both lines for for Tampa dominated Kansas City's lines and made game planning a lot easier for Todd Bowles and and all these guys. So, um, yeah, it'll be – I think the Bills can get back, but they need to – be smart about what they're doing over the next few months because it's, this is a different challenge, a different chapter of their roster building that they haven't encountered before.
2: Jim, I want to ask you this too, off, off of that point. I mean, as a, as an outsider, when I look at the, the roster, it, it seems very simple. Like those players that Matt kind of alluded to that they signed to like some of these mid-level deals, you know, the, the Addisons of the world, AJ Kleins of the world, it's like, all right, no, just, even John Brown, throw him in there. You know, get rid of these guys. Make a run at Unique Ngakwe. Make a run at Bud Dupree. Make a run at somebody who's going to change a game, like you saw Shaq Barrett change that Super Bowl. Um, is it that simple? <laughs> can the Bills just go do that from a front office perspective?
1: I think the good thing is, and to your point, yeah, I think you can. I really do. I don't. I'm a big believer in once you have that quarterback in place and knowing that they do I'm telling you you can be very calculated and 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 as much as Milano does a good job I don't think they skip a beat without him you know as much as John Brown they don't skip a beat without them they those guys are so replaceable to me you know not that they're not good players but you can replace them at your value if you have to and I just think they're in a great spot as long as they can figure out like Matt said Matt made some great points I I Matt, you're way more tuned in on it than I am with the, the cap stuff. But when they get Josh Allen figured out, it, this is what happens when you get a franchise quarterback. And this is what happens picking 30th in the, you know, in the draft now. Like this is what we did in New Orleans. And we hit on like a Mark Ingram late in that first round. Uh, Patrick Robinson, uh, I think the year actually we won the Super Bowl. So if you're doing your work and good scouting staff, you can hit on this 30th pick, too. So I just can't wait to see – I can't wait to see who they value. You know, I was on WGR the other day talking about that. with Tight ends, running backs, everybody wants those. And I agree, tight end would be the, the monster for Josh Allen. But how could you say running back? I don't know. I, I just don't feel like that's – no, not that – I think that they will – I think they're fine with what they have. I don't know how much they – you know, how much more do you want to invest in that?
0: Yeah, I mean they have what two third round picks tied up in Devin Singletary and Zach Moss. Yep. Those aren't investments that you just cast aside, especially when you spent the year basically not giving them the ball. <laughs> you know, not you didn't really have a running no. game. You know, the running game and Brandon Bean came out and said that it wasn't a Zach Moss, Devin Singletary problem. So, you know, that tells you a little bit of what you need to know. And and you know, Jim, uh, it's interesting to hear you say that about Matt Milano because. As the year went on, I kind of started to think that as well, because there was these long stretches of time where he wasn't in the game. and you know what was out of the lineup with injuries. And is it an asset when he's in there? Absolutely. The guy's a yeah. great ball player, but who's to say they can't platoon AJ Klein and a mid-round draft pick? and look, Matt Milano, as good as he is, didn't solve their biggest problem which was stopping Travis Kelsey. And that's sort of what he's supposed to be able to do as that matchup linebacker. And I think they already sent a signal about their priorities a little bit. They locked up Tredavious White before the season. They locked up Dion Dawkins. They signed Jordan Poyer last offseason. They're not – I at least we learn more every year about their patterns and their behaviors, right? Every year Brandon Bean does this, we learn more. But we haven't seen too often where a guy gets to this point, and they get him back. They usually let them get to this point for a reason. Uh, Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips last year, um, you know, is a good example. So, to me, if he hits free agency, I think that's it. You don't, you don't let a guy hit free agency and get him back too often. Um, it's just and that sends a signal to the guy that he's not very wanted anyways. So even if his value isn't what he hoped, is he going to come back with his tail between his legs? I'm not so sure. So they have the franchise tag option, but would you rather take 13 million and have some fun with it? Play around and see what you can get out of it. Um, You know, they got to figure out what they're doing with Feliciano and Williams, two starters on their offensive line also up, you know, for new contracts. Um, those are the big three free agent decisions by my rough math. They can, depending on what the cap is, which we don't even know yet, they could have somewhere between 20 and 30 million in space. They could, they could make some moves by cutting Jefferson and Butler. I don't know that they would cut Addison, but if they wanted to, they could save a bunch of money. They could save almost seven and a half on John Brown. But here's the other part of this. And maybe Jim can speak to this a little bit. Uh, the other layer of team building that I always get fascinated by when you hit this point is we can we can sit here and spell out the obvious money problems, right? The free agents who are here that need to be re-signed, the guys that you can maybe cut to save some money. But what if Stefan Diggs says, I was the best receiver in the league last year, and I'm not paid like it? What if Cole Beasley says, I just had my best year, and you guys are paying me like a number three? I've been taking care of you, what about taking care of me a little bit? You know, what if that $9 million or $7.5 million, whatever they save on John Brown, has to get spread around the receiver room just to keep some guys happy? So there's the obvious problems that pop up and then the, you know, the not-so-obvious problems that can pop up when you have a winner and you have a some of that magic wears off a little bit and guys start to say, you know, they want a little bit of it for themselves.
1: The innocence gets lost a little bit, right, Jim? You just made me so happy that I don't have that job anymore. (laughs) Because you just summed it up so well. And it is. It's an absolute headache right now. And you are going to – Matt, that's very outside the box thinking, knowing football, because Diggs, Beasley, you're damn right. You're damn right those agents aren't – they're reaching out. Hey, you're going to lock Josh up. How are you not going to lock his his boys up? I mean, this is the – you know, it – It is going to get nuts. It really is.
2: I mean, for what it's worth, somebody who knows Diggs is thinking pretty well from those Vikings days and defended Diggs And the stories I've written, said you can guarantee that's going to be the case, like that he's going to want more money, that he's going to look at what other receivers are getting paid. I mean, I was just looking at it on spottrack.com today, and it's like, God, Matt, you probably know at the tip of your tongue. I think he's like, what, 13th or 14th highest paid annual salary amongst receivers when he could make the case that he's the best damn receiver in football. He's got three years left on his contract. If you're Brandon Bean, is that really a precedent that you want to send to your players in your locker room? Oh, yeah, you can get a new contract with three years left. That's what you're – That's what I mean, if you – and I know they reworked it a little bit already when they brought him in, but if they just give him everything he would want, if he does indeed go to them – not, not, not necessarily sure that's what you want to say to the rest of your team. Um, but you got to start with Josh Allen, though, right? I mean, he he's the straw that stirs the drink. You're all in on him at this point. Um, I don't know. When when do you think that goes down, Matt, that they just – and what's it going to be? Is it going to be 35, 36 mil a year? I mean, what are we
0: looking at? I feel like it will probably happen this offseason. I would be surprised if it didn't, just the way he played, how much they love him. They loved him before he had this breakout year. They, they thought this was coming. He validated it. He validated the pick. Um, he validated – I mean, when you validate that pick, you validate Brandon Bean as a general manager, as an evaluator, as a guy that, you know, can, can pick players. And, you know, you validate your coach. And what better way to double down on that than lock him up? Um, and I think you could see it kind of like the Patrick Mahomes – you know, these contract structures get real, um, you know, they can get creative with them. And you can stack years that would have been the the fourth year and the fifth year option and, and play around with the bonus money. Um, Patrick Mahomes' contract is guaranteed for injury for a while. Um, and so at least, you know, there's all sorts of stuff you can do. He won't get that term, you know, that Mahomes got, but – you got to think what, 35, 40, maybe even 45 a year? Which right now, you know, some people would say, oh, if I'm Josh Allen, I wait till the market goes up. I say right now, if I'm Josh Allen, I'm taking it. Um, I don't know that, and this is not to say that he's going to regress or that this was an anomaly or anything like that, um, but I don't know that it gets much you can't guarantee that it'll get much better your market than it will right now a lot can go wrong we just brought up some guys that could want more money or guys that could be leaving or Brandon Bean even brought up at the end of the season he's like we're probably not scoring 500 points again because a lot went right we were healthy you know there was you know that stuff just doesn't happen all the time so 500 points might not be realistic so if I'm Josh Allen I'm thinking even if you regress a little bit you know, it's all of a sudden this question, and I think the Bills probably want to get it locked up so that that's not lingering. And yeah, this is as good as it gets. Right now you can make an argument that Josh Allen is one of those five quarterbacks that transcends what's around him. Um, has he proven that beyond any reasonable doubt? Probably not because everything was really good around him this year, but he plays the position like a guy who can make something out of nothing. And He's a creator. He's He is the mold of what teams are going to be looking for. So, yeah, I think they lock him up at some point. Um, so much will depend on the cat, what they're able to do. That Mahomes deal came down sometime in the summer, um, which I think makes sense timing-wise for everything to to do it that way. Uh, but that is, you're right, Tyler, that is the puzzle, the main puzzle piece that you have to build everything else around. You know, every dollar that goes to Josh Allen in 2020 one 2022 and 2023 can't go to someone else so everybody asks me all the time should he you think he'll pull a Brady and take a pay cut and help the team out and all this and I think why why does everybody want these players to take pay cuts like why would he do that like I don't know I mean I know western western New York's pretty affordable um you know it's, it's cost of living's pretty cheap he can get a house a lot cheaper than he could uh you know, if he was living somewhere else, but man, like these billionaires got the money. Like they can, they can pay. Like I said, get what you're worth.
1: The only people laughing harder than us on that question are the actual players. Cause they're, they're, <laughs> they're exactly right. Look at what happened to Dak Prescott. Like They don't, they, they, they aren't into team discounts, not any of them. And they shouldn't be. No, they and shouldn't. He probably
0: well, isn't, he's probably, you know, Tom Brady took a discount yeah. for years but like then he's also got his company on the side and there's Giselle. all sorts of well he's got Giselle you know but he's got his company on the side that like there's this weird team relationship with <laughs> yeah. it's like laundering money through you know the company it's, like, mm-hmm. so, um, it's just not something that should be expected the way I feel like it often is by fans like come on just take the t-. it's like Especially in football, your career is so short. Like, and quarterback, you hope be longer. But man, like, take every penny you can get
1: because Josh Allen's I'm about to change you. his life. Like, it's yeah, going to be. I'm telling um, you, there's no. I, I don't. I really can't think of anybody that really want, wants to give the team a discount. Right. Like,
2: it's, the Dak Prescott thing is such a good point too. I mean, he just he breaks his leg. I mean, his. Who knows what's gonna happen in Dallas? It's weird. I remember somebody um, around the team was saying, "No, no, you know, like Dak's gonna resign. Everything's gonna be fine because Jerry, Jerry will he'll find a way to get you money on the side. Like you were saying, laundering money. Like ah, you know he, he he he's got a lot of money. He's one of the richest people in the country. Like ah, you know whether it's car deal dealerships or this or that. Like I don't know. At the end of the day, it's like your window is so so short in the NFL. It's the most." violent game on the planet you don't know what's going to happen game to game week to week it's 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 remarkable that a guy like Allen robinson to me for the bears is like i mean he's going out there with the quarterback play that they have there in chicago with the offense they have there in chicago like risking injury week in and week out the fact that he gets to this position where you know he's entering free agency probably gets slapped at the tag like it's Get yours when you can. It's the moral of the story, right? If you're a player, just get it. Get as much money as you can. Um, but you know what? To, to, you guys are both kind of hinting at it here. Like the Bills, they got to start drafting better. Like when you're starting to pay people, I don't know what, what they have in at Oliver. I don't know what they really have in in Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, the age excuse you can't use that anymore. Devin White just wrecked the Super Bowl at 22 years old. Like we got to stop hearing about how old Tremaine Edmonds is. It's it's time for him to be a star in that defense. I don't know if he's that right now. I don't know if he's close to that right now.
1: Neither one of those guys. I try on tape watching them, and they they don't jump out. They really don't. I know Edmonds gets some hype. I mean, he does play. He plays so hard, and he does, you know, he makes plays in pursuit, so you notice him a lot and his effort. But he misses a lot of tackles. He gets run through. He is not a take-on guy. Oliver same deal. I mean he gets pushed around. You already know his, his limitations and I just haven't seen him win consistently enough. I mean, it's all about just jumping the snap for him. That's about it. I mean, he's physical, but I mean he's just so little. So I I don't know. I, I feel like those two are being hidden a little bit with the success and, and what how Josh is dominated, but I think those two are hiding some I don't I don't know what I'm not I haven't seen it.
0: Yeah, they're not no doubt Second contract guys,
1: right? Like, Tredavious was
0: like, you have to have this guy back. You know, premier position. And all these guys, to an extent, play a premier position. Like, I would say three-technique defensive tackle in this oh, yeah. defense is a premier position. Yep. In the oh, NFL, yeah. period. I mean, look at Aaron And where Donald. they took him.
1: Where they took right. him.
0: That's right. And that was the name that got thrown around was Aaron Donald. And that's a hell of a bar because <laughs> Donald's probably – I don't know, maybe the best defensive player ever. I don't know. Like, I mean, he's, he's (laughs) on his way, like, uh, playing in a no defense league. He's an animal. Um, and Oliver's not quite there now. Like, does he take on double teams? Does he generate some pressure? Yes, he does. He's, he's a good player. He's fine, but he's not changing games, wrecking games. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, maybe he needs another guy next to him or this or that, but that is part of the point. He's not the one that's, you know, causing all that. And Edmonds, I mean, and this ties into the Milano thing. You know, are you going to pay both? And can you pay both? You probably can, but you have to sacrifice somewhere else. And, yeah, I think you would have to, even if you're the Bills, I think you would have to look at Kermaine Edmonds and think, it'd be nice if this guy was a little bit more of a no-brainer right now. You know, he I thought he played well against the Ravens, one of the better games I saw him play. But the week before, Darius Leonard, who got taken the round after he did, looked a hell of a lot better than Tremaine Edmonds did. And that's part of the trouble with this trading up, giving up picks to go get a guy that you got to have. He better damn well be worth it. And, you can't pay 13, 14, 15 million a year, whatever Tremaine Edmonds is going to demand for a guy that's going to be, that we're going to be debating about, you know, a guy that's, you know, just not changing games. So big, big years for those guys, because like you guys pointed out, all these questions you need to fill in with your drafted talent. And from 2018 on, There's a lot of question marks. There's guys that are making plays in spots, but you look at the big pieces. I mean, Josh Allen, home run, like nailed it. Everybody else who's making plays and changing these games, trades and free agents. Um, You know, a lot of these guys, uh, Tredavious White drafted in 2017, Deion Dawkins, 2017. Uh, From 2018 on, there's more question marks than there are hits. And, you know, Brandon Bean said it. He's like, we need to draft well these next few years because Micah Hyde's getting older. Um, You know, they still need a number two corner. Maybe Milano leaves. Like, maybe you got to fill in some holes on the offensive line. This was a weird thing I noticed from doing some research. They've drafted three offensive linemen since 2017. Deion Dawkins in the second round in 2017. Cody Ford in the second round in 2019 and Wyatt Teller in the fifth round in mm-hmm. 2018. Wyatt Teller, get away. yeah, he, he's a damn good player. Um, not on the team anymore. So I don't know. You got to invest in up front. Now they spent a ton of money up front. But the problem is all that's come and due and they can't afford to continue to spend that way. So you got to hit on some picks and, and keep finding some values so that they can you know they're trying to hold this all together, and why not? It, it was great this year, um, but like Jim mentioned with the Saints all those years ago, like you need those impact players to in, on their rookie deals and time it all right. Those are the teams that make magical runs.
2: I mean, who scares you on that front seven? I mean, who who terrifies you if you're an offensive coordinator? Like the best player is
0: still Jerry Hughes.
2: Which is, he's okay, you
0: know? He's still the best player on that front seven, and he's the longest tenured Bill. You know, they've they've had him since Doug Whaley pulled off one of the great heists uh, of our time, (laughs) trading Calvin Shepard, who I believe is now a coach somewhere, (laughs) not in the (laughs) league anymore. Um, For Hughes, great, great trade, but like, yeah, all these, and they have tried. They spent more money on the defensive line than any team in the NFL this year. Um, so, you know, they've made it. They drafted at Oliver in the top ten. They spent their first draft pick last year on AJ Epinesa. They have made an effort on the on the front, and it's not working. And I think the Bucks showed you that. Yeah, they had Tom Brady. Yeah, they had Rob Gronkowski. They those are the guys that people paid attention to. Antonio Brown, Leonard Fournette, like they put together the dream team. You know what else they had? Shaq Barrett. You know, all those MVP. guys in, all those guys in the secondary that, you know, Vita Vea uh, who they drafted, Antoine Winfield Jr. who they drafted, like they had
1: Davis they got luck. Guy. They
0: yeah, they had some great luck in the sense of like they were building a great team. And all of a sudden, the greatest quarterback of all time became available. And they were able to plug him in at the exact right time in their rebuild. But they don't win a Super Bowl without nailing some of those draft picks the way they did.
2: Jim, isn't it wild to I mean, hear Matt kind of break down you know, these, these different teams? It's like, you know, this current Bills front office, they nailed the quarterback position. Everything else, you know, pretty hit or miss. I mean, you guys had your trials and tribulations at quarterback, and you nailed a lot of other stuff. Like, <laughs> it's – I mean, quarterback is so important. I, I get it. It's just its just wild to me on, like, the hit, the picks that you hit or the positions that you hit and the positions that you miss and how it leads to wins and losses. Like, what, it, 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 when you're trying to figure out what to prioritize, what's that thought process like?
1: You know, and that's the thing. We sit there and talk about these – like, we also had that Shady McCoy for Kiko Alonso deal. Yeah. You know, Like, that was a heist. I mean, you know, Kiko was a good player. was people like, nuts
2: at the time. I mean, people oh, criticized that trade big time.
1: We're like, if we don't have – I mean, we needed a star. Like, we just needed a star. Like, you know, let's get a star in here and see what happens. But, like, at this, this stage for the Bills right now, I'm telling you, I believe in Brandon Bean and you guys, I know Matt, you talked to him, but it sounds to me like he's very self-aware of the situation too. I like hearing that a lot. You know, he, he knows there's a lot of work to be done and he knows that there's pressure on them. This now you do have the quarterback. So guess what? This is your, this is your windows officially open, you know, and we know how they don't stay open long. So you can't mess this up. I mean, really. And, and honestly, I really think they're up for the challenge. And yeah, everybody has hits and misses, and the Bills certainly. You know, as I'm sitting here with Edmonds and Oliver, yeah, they're okay players. You don't even want to say they're misses, but they're not necessarily hits. But it's this is their time now, and and they can't even have they can't have misses right now. Like they they need to be very very calculated. One thing I'd add too is
2: I think you know watching that Super Bowl. A big part of this, too, is what what is your identity as a team? So, you know, Tampa Bay, okay, yeah, they just clobbered Kansas City. I mean, they just punched them in the jaw again and again and again, so Kansas City couldn't take it anymore. But they, they could just run the ball and work off play action, and I'm sure they would have settled for those short field goals if they had to because guess what? They've got the defense to do it. I, I mean, it just it, it seemed like – the Bills in that AFC championship game, it, it, it was almost like Sean McDermott was in an identity crisis. I mean, he was trying to kind of coach that way. He was coaching like he almost had a Tampa Bay-like roster that could lean on a defense, that could run the ball, that could you know win with a field goal here and a stop there when that's not what you are. I mean, what got you there is throwing the ball all over the place, you know, winging it to Diggs, to Beasley, to John Brown, to, to all these weapons, and taking chances, taking risks. And at that point, you better go down swinging. You, you better, you know, go for the knockout, as Doug said, you know, on our podcast right out of that game, or or you're going to lose. So it's like it starts with Sean McDermott getting his hands on what kind of team are we going to have here and how, how are we going to win? How are we going to attack that moment in that game the next time? And, you know, more than any roster decision and who they sign, who they let go, maybe that's most important. Because I, I tell you what, I mean, I mean, Matt, you're way more connected with everything than, than I am, obviously, at this point. But listening to Sean McDermott's press conference, um, I, I didn't come away thinking, like, that he would really change much at all. I think he regretted one of those. At the end of the first half, he said he wanted to go in with morale. I mean, morale to me is going for it, scoring a touchdown, and trying to win it frickin' Arrowhead and, and shock the world. Like, do you think that he'll have that epiphany at any point and change his ways because maybe that's the difference between this team winning that game losing that game being a Super Bowl champ not being a Super Bowl champ
0: yeah you know I thought he did for like most of the season they were one of the most aggressive teams on fourth down they were and they were one of the most pass happy teams in the NFL it was like they did learn their lessons. You know, Sean McDermott had grown as a game manager. They were sharp. And then in the most important moment, in the most important game, they turtled, you know. And they did it in both games, I felt like, against the Chiefs. Uh, Just badly, badly outcoached to the point where uh, as badly as the Bucs outcoached the Chiefs on Sunday night. Like, I think there was, you know, there's always that element of these games, the matchups, and the chess match and the way these coaches can really flip a game sometimes. And I just think, you know, that first matchup against the Chiefs way too much in their head, you know, way too much with the, we'll just let them run for 250 yards. Well, you know, it was almost just content with being hanging around and keeping it close. That's what the end of half field goal said to me was like, well, we got to put points on the board for morale so that like, so that's close. So the score is a little closer. So it doesn't look so bad. But it's like, oh, yeah, there was not that belief that you're going to make it. I mean, it it felt like, you know, in that first game, well, we're okay if they run the ball and we can just hang around and maybe get lucky at the end. I think you got to have a little bit more of what you're talking about, that conviction in your identity and willingness to lean into it. But you also need some counter punches, and they kind of just had one punch, one speed that worked against basically every team in the NFL, but it didn't work against the one that that mattered. And they didn't have the defense to back up some of that conservative play calling, and they didn't have a running game to turn to. You don't need to have a 50-50 run pass split. Like 70-30 in the NFL towards the pass is fine. Like you, you can be pass happy. But when you run the ball, you need to be able to do it. You you need to be able to convince teams that you can at least pull it off. And they didn't have that, especially when Zach Moss went down, when he was finally getting going. They didn't have it. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of the – now they're fortunate. The coaching staff's all coming back. A big part of that aggressive identity on offense, Brian Dable, he's back. Um, To Jim's point, you know, they need to hit on draft picks. They need to do all this. Their scouting staff is back intact. Nobody got hired away to be a GM, um, so they've got a good group. And I think, mm-hmm. I think um, Brandon Bean is very self-aware. To Jim's point of, him, of his team and himself, where he needs to get better and, and where you know he's messed up, and willingness to turn the page when he has messed up, and admit when he's messed up, which I think is a commendable trait no doubt Sean, Sean McDermott is that way to an extent but there's certain parts of him that are really rooted in who he is and kind of how he is and when it came down to it and it really mattered he he reverted back to that and I don't know it's a fascinating he's a fascinating coach he really is like in a lot of ways cuz he's not the mold of a lot of these coaches in the NFL that you see now. And I think it works to a large degree, but in some key spots, it's it's let them down.
2: A team takes on the personality of their coach, especially in moments like that. Gun to your head, Matt. Sean McDermott or Brian Dayball, who are you keeping? Not that that's a decision, but, you know, for the sake of fun and argument and podcasting.
0: I feel like I'm probably, you know, I think I'm keeping Sean McDermott, but that might have as much to do with, like, you know, I think in the NFL, you want continuity on the offensive side of the ball as much as possible, for sure. Um, that's why offensive coaches are more popular than defensive coaches, because you want, you win with offense. So the less that changes, the better off you are. I don't – this idea that Brian Dable is a no-brainer head coach, I was kind of on the fence about. Like, I don't know if he was quite ready. And I think he'll be ready eventually, maybe, but I don't think there's a guarantee there. And he's got a spotty resume of his own before he got to Buffalo. So I think you get a baseline with Sean, a Sean McDermott team. Like, he got that 2018 team to 6-10 and 10 somehow. Like, not yeah. a very good team at all. You know, like, they were rolling what Derek Dary- Anderson and yeah. Nathan Peterman Dary- Dary- out for games. That's Got that 2017 Dary- team Dary- to the playoffs. Um, there's a baseline of competitiveness there that I think you're not going to totally lose. But, I don't know, that can happen quickly in the NFL, too, where that goes away. So, it's a tough question. A good, fair question. I'm sort of waffling and copping out here. But I think, <laughs> I, think I would go with McDermott.
2: Well, you know, as Jim would know, and I'll let him dive into any details that he would like to dive into, but there's also the fact that shit was pretty terrible pre-McDermott in terms of the Rex Ryan era of Buffalo Bills football, and I think he cleaned up a lot in terms of culture, in terms of foundation, and usually I roll my eyes at those words and think they're pretty meaningless, but... He, he, you know, he like, you, to your point, I mean, he did. He has this baseline of competitiveness that, you know, that, that there was that little stretch there where they got blown out by, like, the Saints and the Chargers. But since then, they don't really, like, just completely get blown out. They don't have those letdown games, and that speaks to head coaching. So, I don't know, Jim. Like, what do you think?
1: I think, I think it's Sean all the way. And I think Dable, I don't know anything about him, but... If anybody can learn something from Sean, that would be what I would say is how he yeah. cared as much as changing the building as he did as changing the roster. Like Sean was prepared; he knew that this building needed flipped. That it did. I mean, it needed. We all needed. Not just us. Like they got rid of a lot of people, and all the people they got rid of, I, I promise you, including us, was they made the right decisions.
2: Oh come on! Get out I'm out just here.
1: saying. I'm saying. I really believe that. Because you have to have it synced up at the top. And Brandon and Sean are synced up together. You got the owners in place. Now you got the quarterback. So, to me, you have those four things. You can win a Super Bowl. And the Bills are – that's 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 how they're constructed at the top. They finally hit on the four things. Also, I mean, we've talked about this, Jim. But
2: <laughs> you, as you have been really honest about, like for, for the longest time, mm-hmm. I mean, what was it? four and a half, five years, like you, you, you said, like, we're kind of beating our heads against the wall to get to 8-8 eight and eight at quarterback. And the fact that they were okay with – they wouldn't come out and say this, obviously, because they did want to win early that first year. But to be bad is a good thing. And they tried to be bad. They made the playoffs. But they had that capital from the trade that you made. So – Maybe I'm just kind of shitting on my own point here, but, like, their thinking all along seemed to be to we got to kind of be bad to get the quarterback, and they found the quarterback. And that cures a lot. That makes a lot go away.
0: Yeah, you either got to be bad or you have to have just a boatload of picks, which is (laughs) – that was Brandon Bean's thought. He got in there and he's like, well, not only do we have to trade some of these guys because they don't really fit, but, like, we got to trade some of these guys to get some ammo because if we're not in the top ten – you know, what would have happened if the Bucks hung up the phone on that trade? You know, what would have, you know, it's like getting up there, that was kind of, I remember the story at the beginning of that off season at the Senior Bowl. I remember asking Brandon, I, sometimes it's hard in these group settings, you try to ask guys like these human questions. I'm always trying to ask Brandon like a human question. And my big thing down there that year was like, what does it feel like? Like, as a human being, as a man, as a competitor, of course, you're going to hear a million times from the moment he's hired until the moment he picks a quarterback that that is the most important thing. It's basically the only thing you need to do as a general manager for your reputation. Obviously, the job entails a lot more, but you hit on that, you cover up a lot. So everybody knows how important that is. But, like, my big question then was, like, what does it feel like to know how important it is? Know that you've sunk so much into it by trading Sammy, Ronald Darby, passing up the opportunity at Mahomes, the whole thing. And it's not even in your hands. Like you're at 20, they were at 21 and 22. And it's like you could, you know, because everybody was at that point, Josh Allen's at the senior bowl, Mm. Baker Mayfield's there, and people are like, man, like, what do you think of these guys? How are you scouting them? And I'm thinking to myself, what if you fall in love with a guy and you can't even get him? Um, and that's what they were at um, what was it I think it was Allen's it was either Allen's or Darnold's um, campus I want to say it was Allen's it's in the story I wrote but I can't even remember (laughs) it was I want to say it was the workout with Allen fantastic story by the way
2: for anyone who hasn't read it check it out
0: and They're there and they're on the sideline watching Josh throw and Joe Shane pulls his phone out and is like, the Jets just traded for number three. And it was like, they're all sitting there like, here we are falling in love with this guy. The Jets might be coming up to take him." Like they got, the Jets jumped the gun on them and they, it worked out. They got, the guy they wanted or so we think like we'll never really know, you know, never, never have been able to pry the, uh, the full answer on brain and of how they all stacked up, but I'll probably say it was Josh Allen all the way now, <laughs> but
2: I've heard they like, they liked Baker Mayfield a lot. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they he liked number one, but like, he, I think he might've been a top of
0: the board. I think they liked Darnold as well. Um, but they liked Allen more than a lot of people from the beginning and, I give them a ton of credit for how that whole thing played out. Total organizational involvement from top to bottom. Um, Coordinator, they made a sharp move at coordinator. Mm -hmm. They didn't drag Rick Dennison into the quarterback evaluation process, which was smart. And that's where I'd say, you know, I lean towards McDermott over Daybull is because less so than when McDermott got here, like, I don't think of him as like, Mr. Defensive Guru Sean McDermott anymore. I think of him as like CEO, head of the the whole deal. Not that he's an offensive mastermind, but he's thinking about it. He's involved in it. He's um, he thinks more big picture than maybe I expected early on. And that quarterback process was proof of that, because he was involved there and getting Day bowling was a big deal. So yeah, it's, um, it was a a really fascinating process, and it's the fine line of McKagan went with Darnold and got himself fired. Not because of Darnold, because of some other stuff too, but like, mm-hmm. you know, you're it's all out of your control, essentially, when you don't end up in the top ten or don't end up at the top of the board. Um, and what a fun offseason that was to cover because they had to do some Crazy things to get all the way up there. Trading Cordy Glenn, uh, trading Tyrod, which kind of became a piece of a separate trade. But, like, yeah, Brandon Bean played it like we all say teams should play it in our head when we're like, oh, just trade this guy. Get it's this awesome. pick, get yeah, this yeah. pick. <laughs> and nobody ever really does that, but he just did it. He was just like, yep, screw it. Sammy Watkins, see you later. Like you know,
2: like. <laughs> That Cordy Glenn trade, too, I mean, that doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, I just remember that was kind of right at the end when I – left the beat and went to Bleacher Port, but there, not a lot of great things said about his work ethic. And I think that, it, I don't know if they had a sense of that. I mean, maybe Jim could chime in too, but like I think that was a player that they could move on from at that point. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if that fire was really burning in him uh, post-contract
1: as much as pre-contract. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Cordy, Cordy was, you know, he did everything that he had to do to stay on the field, be in shape. You know, he's so natural gift, you know, gifted as an athlete. So, and he's just a big guy. And, but he wasn't like your, not like some of these big linemen that just want to get in there and just get after it all the time. And that's not him. That wasn't. And, and I'm sure Sean, I'm sure that was on the, Hey, we need, we need the grinders. We need the grinders. So, I could see that being part of Sammy Darby. Those guys weren't necessarily the nastiest grinders in the world. You know, they, they I, I see where, you know, I see where he was trying to get rid of some guys. Darby yeah. Darby's like good Darby's a really good football player. I mean, he, he's, yeah. you know, he's a really good football player, but I was shocked but that they got rid of him. I just thought the corner like that, why would you mess around with a young corner But Get value and yeah,
0: yeah. I think no, the they report, knew what they were doing. Yeah, right, they knew like what they not, were
1: doing. You'd love those it, guys were good, good players.
0: Yeah, those like, guys are all
1: good players, right? Yeah,
0: let's get and they got the return,
1: you know. Yeah, no they, doubt. that's a great point. They weren't, like, they weren't misses, those guys are good players, and they, I think, they recognize it. like they, they weren't saying they can't play. They're saying, shit, We have value, they yeah. we can get some, they got so we have value.
0: Perceived value from outside – guys that are valued higher outside of our building than in our building because they didn't, like you said, view them as those pieces that would be perfect fits. And, Tyler, you wrote – you've written some amazing stories about Sammy, and he's been pretty blunt about the fact that he didn't think he fit. You know, like I think Darby very much the same way, you know, with the coaching staff and everything else. And Cordy Glenn, from everything I heard when he got to Cincinnati, was just – Like, they – Zach Taylor got there and just, like, didn't know what to do with him. was like, you know, this guy, like – so the Bills, they didn't get crazy value on the Cordy trade, but they got something. Um, And they weren't even – they weren't even playing him full time that last year. Deion Dawkins was, was you know, taking his spot. And every time Cordy has an injury, um, you know, it was like it would take a little longer than – than for the guy next to him, type of thing, and you know, so yeah, it was it, it was kind of smart in the sense of like you wait around on a Sammy, and he doesn't have as much value the next year. If you if he's if they're like, man, this guy got benched or this guy got this, it's like everything was still fresh. Yeah. Nobody had been benched. Nobody had been you know. Look at Darius by the trade deadline. All oh, they could they couldn't beg somebody to take him away. Finally got Marone to take him, um, but like, you know, it was like because everybody knew that they didn't want him. Whereas these other guys, they could still kind of feign interest because it was just like, hey, you know, just trying to recuperate some value here. And I don't know, it, it was a, uh, it was interesting to see them do that because you don't see it all that often. And I think to Jim's credit, to Doug's credit, like they had some people. The cupboard wasn't bare. They had some talent and there were pieces to trade, which that was always the thing with LaShawn McCoy. Everybody was like, man, I don't know why they just don't trade him. When he got toward the end, it's like, who wants him? Who's giving any, not who wants him, but who's giving anything, you know? And there's a rare window with a lot of these guys where you can actually get something for them. And they took advantage of that with with Sammy and Darby.
2: Fantastic point. I mean, the downfall of Ronald Darby, though, like, just played his music too loud in his locker. I mean, it was difficult for us to do our job. Absolutely. I mean, do you remember like, quote,
1: I, you know, so well, good riddance. Obviously
2: that, but, but I, I just remember that year one of Rex Ryan, and God, I love that. That was the most fun i would ever had in this job. Like, that locker room was just, thanks, Jim, for bringing in those personalities because <laughs> they made our job fun. But, like, I can just remember, like, talking to Duke Williams, like, at the next locker, and Ronald Darby is just blasting, like, obscene lyrics <laughs> just like these insane songs and just done, just on purpose you know why not but
0: couldn't get okay. him to say more than two words if you put a recorder in front of his face Ronald Darby he was like
2: it was difficult it was very He was difficult. he was a
0: different different guy yeah. and
2: everybody else was amazing in that in that locker room it was incredible
0: Nathaniel Roby Coleman top of my list uh, the, absolute job. the absolute gem absolute best Booby Dixon, you know, a great find uh, yes. uh, by Jim
1: Monas. Uh, yes. in the, the game. We, I, hey, we loved him. That I don't know, coaches. He drives coaches crazy, but I'm telling you, he's so good. <laughs> he's such a good player.
2: Such a good dude too. I love. Talking such a about good him. dude. Yeah.
1: Such a good dude. Roby Coleman, Jim Schwartz had the best compliment with uh, Roby. He said, "Uh, he and." Mario Williams or Roby Coleman. If he had to fight one of them, he would fight Mario because <laughs> he said, "There's a chance." He said, "There's a chance maybe I hit him and he quits." He said, "Roby," he said, "There is no way I'm fighting that guy." He's like, he would, he would never like, and that's just his mentality. Yeah, like, the slug god. Yeah, it's. Yep.
2: I mean, it was he. He wasn't sure before that Super Bowl when we chatted about Tom Brady and wanting to treat this like the Bronx Tale, you know, when that biker gang is in the bar, they just beat the shit out of them, you know, up and down, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm sure the Rams weren't happy with that honesty out of Nicole Roby Coleman. I had a had a nice conversation with the media relations official that week in Atlanta at the Super Bowl. And- Nobody likes honesty.
0: But,
2: you know, you know, the thing <laughs> not from is, their players. It's like why not just like feed off of that? Like he, I, th- I thought Nickel Roby Coleman, he nailed it. If you're playing Tom Brady, if you're playing the GOAT, you got to hit him between the eyes. That's basically what he said. We're, we're going into a, a back alley fight and we're here to beat the shit out of you. And that's what's going to happen. Here it comes. I mean, we talked for probably a half hour in LA that, we- that week before Super Bowl week. We were just sitting, in, sitting on the practice field. It was just me and him and the guy cutting the grass, basically. And it was... I don't know, 25 or 26 minutes, and about 15 of those minutes was Nikhil Roby talking about Tom Brady and the Patriots, and it was, so nothing was taken out of context. I can promise you that. And
0: um, I've yeah, talked to him, like, so I know nothing was taken out of context. Right. Like, I'd go to him. He's
1: the best.
2: He's the best. Every
0: single Wednesday, be like, "What are you seeing out of this quarterback?" Well, man, he can't throw it outside the numbers. You <laughs> can't do this. Is just like, I'd be like, just open my notebook and hit the record yeah. button and be like, "All right, Nikhil." Spin, spin some yarn for me this week. He was and Perfect. I think, you know, part of the what's I find interesting about that team, twenty fourteen, It's like how many of these guys are still in the league, still hanging around, yeah. still like right. some good players, you know, like Mikel. A and, ton. You know, they're they're right. hanging around. They're not stars, but they're they've carved out their spot and in a league where I don't know. it Makes me feel old because that's already a long time ago. So, you know, like
2: oh, I know, seven right.
0: years ago was my first uh, my first year, 2014. Uh, Jim Schwartz. Jim's bringing back some memories with Jim Schwartz, man. That guy. He was that's a awesome.
1: he was a he was a treat, man. Like, he he was, is a, he is like nobody. i my favorite thing about the jobs I've had are some of these coaches. These guys, I'm telling you, they're whacked. They're so weird, man. Like Jim
0: Schwartz Black. is just such a weird dude. Like back then, I could get like the coordinator one on one. Like they do like the press conferences now. Back then, like it was just like if you ask for him, you can have him. Right. Jim Schwartz, I would ask for him, and he. There was one time we we're on the practice field, talking. We we're like the last ones there. It was after that he got carried off the field, and oh. I asked him. <laughs> I asked him about it, and he was like, "He was like, I don't know what you're talking about." I was like, "That one must have meant a little more last week. Kind of seemed like you were pretty fired up." He's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." I'm like, "You got carried off the field." He's like, "Eh, it was it was nothing." And we get done talking, and there was a long walk back from the stadium to the locker room. And normal people, normal humans, would like we would just turn the recorder. Like Nate Hackett and I would would chop it up right, and we would talk like. Just a couple of guys. Jim Schwartz, I'm like, all right, Jim, like, appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Turn the recorder off. He breaks into a jog. It was like he was running away from me. I'm like, and then stops so that he's, like, awkwardly 15 feet in front of me walking back to the facility. And I'm just like, I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, this, is, this guy is yeah. weird. Always wearing his shades. Uh, oh, he's just good coordinator,
1: though. Such a good coordinator. He was. Matt?
2: you're phenomenal
1: that was was good matt that was i'm telling you're you dialed in but
2: like i mean it's i mean really what else do you want to hit on here like before you tell everybody what you're working on
0: i I got nothing my tank is empty i I, I left it all (laughs) out on the field for you guys i uh
2: you gave it 110 percent, i'd say you know i think you laid it out there
0: i appreciate you you guys having me on it's uh it's easy to, to talk football with you guys. Every time we we yeah, get together, cool. every time we jump on the phone, it's like, you know, like when I call Jim up and it's like, you know, forty five minutes later he's like, "Wait, what? What did you call me for again?" You know, like, what, <laughs> were, you know, what were we gonna talk about? Like, it's like, I don't know. It's just fun talking football, and uh, you know, it's the the funny stories. It's the people, right? It's the it's the quirky totally. personalities, the people, the way it all fits together. It's a it's a strange, funny funny world the NFL and uh, it's it's a fun one
2: we know you're busy but we're gonna make you a regular guest with uh with Doug Whaley I think you I think you've earned your way into the go long rotation that's
1: good country. and
2: I'm just mad you didn't come down here to Hamburg Brewery you know I knew it was 50 50 you were a busy guy but we could be you know drinking some hoptimonium here it's a new beer coming out Friday you know I just cranked open a I don't know if that's the right verb there. Just opened up a third double IPA. <laughs> and uh it's good. It's good. So we gotta get you down. It's
0: Struggle with your verbs after a couple hopdemoniums. Well that's sessions.
2: the thing, you have three of these and you just you, you don't even know what you're saying. So <laughs> I think that's, you know a, a good sign that it's a good beer, right? I mean I'll make the podcast
0: even better next time if we're all That's yeah, what happens.
2: You gotta get juiced up. A few of those. Well, we oh, yeah. thought Doug was gonna come up here. We thought that was gonna happen and then we had some yeah. scheduling conflicts and, and such but maybe we get all four together what do you think
1: that'd be worth beautiful it. It'd be worth it all
2: right. beautiful matt what uh what do you got coming are you keeping it a secret what, what can folks read right now well, i
0: feel like in tie done fashion i should keep it a secret that's the tie never will. never never tell will. anybody what you're working <laughs> on. Uh, right. got some fun uh some fun features coming this off season. I got one one cooking after a good convo today that um, I think people will enjoy. Trying to, it's a fun time in the NFL because yeah, we have no access, but that just means <laughs> the people who get it, it no means a little more. So that's my hope, anyways. Is I'm gonna, you know, maybe some of these agents will will help us out a little bit more these days because. Uh, There's no combine. We can't bug them there, so you got to bug them on the telephone. But yeah, lots of free agency coverage coming, um, but some good player profiles. And I got to get caught up on the draft. I'm behind. Usually it'd be like October and I'd be busting out my draft uh, notebook, but not this year. I had an actual playoff contender to cover, so (laughs) I'm looking forward to diving into the draft because that's one of my favorite times of the year.
2: Well, if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic, do it for one reason and one reason only, Matthew Fairburn. Um, that's why I subscribe, and that's why you should subscribe, and it will help Matt out, read his stuff. He's the best. He'll be on this podcast again. Thank you so much for carving out time. Can't wait to see you in person. It's been too long.
0: Oh, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Matt.
2: And, Jim, you're cool, too. You're, <laughs> nice. You're, you're a good man.
1: Go so Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta Hawks plus four right now.
2: <laughs> I knew it'd come so. back to gambling. I knew it would. I gotta
0: get Jim as my bookie. I gotta get him as my bookie because they're they're past many of these guys that are you know, So I'm gonna need to gonna need to have to place my wagers through
1: Jim. You know where to find me.
0: Beautiful. Thanks, all.